This is a podcast from meow.net. Meow! Testing. I'm liking that one. Right, none of that. Hello, speak at normal volume. Meow at IKF. Hello, and welcome to another episode of our special series based on people we met, things we saw in ICAF in Rotterdam in spring. Now, today I'm joined by uh, Kim Wide, who I met for the first time when we were in ICAF. And Kim has some very interesting things to say and does very interesting work. So I asked her if she'd appear here and talk about three things, really. One, I'd like Kim to explain to our listeners a little bit about herself and how she came to be doing the work that she's doing. Secondly, I'll ask her to explain a little about Take Apart, the organisation that she founded and that's based in Plymouth in the United Kingdom. And thirdly, I'm going to ask her to explain what she was doing at ICAF, what brought her there, and what she learned or took away from it. But first, Kim, you're not in Plymouth, you're in Bristol, is that right? (laughs) That's right. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me on, Owen. Yes, I am. I live in Bristol now. I think you can probably tell by my accent that I am not from the UK. I'm actually from Canada. And I thought I'd maybe tell you a little bit about me before we start. That would be very nice. Brilliant. Um, I came, I have a background in um, Middle Eastern archaeology, of all things, in Canada. And I came to the UK, as one does, temporarily for love um, back in 2003, not anticipating staying here for very long. I tried to get a job in the museums and heritage sector here in the UK, but because I don't have a background in British history and competition was quite fierce, I just couldn't get a job. But I did get a a maternity cover at a contemporary art gallery in the New Forest, which doesn't exist any longer, but was called Artsway. And I absolutely loved that you could talk about things with emotion. And art was just a little bit more free-flowing, a little bit more experimental in how you could have conversations with people. And so I rather fell in love with it. Now, I don't have any background in arts, which maybe helps me in the work that I do, because I do a lot of community-based commissioning and co-creation projects with people who probably don't interface with what we would call contemporary art. I put air quotes around that. Um, in our normal day-to-day society. And so I think I have a little bit of a shorthand potentially. I'm not coming at it from an academic point of view. In any case, after I uh, worked at this contemporary art gallery, I worked for a disability arts organization in the Southwest, which was called Equata, which no longer exists. And then in 2009, I um, started working with Take Apart. I understand that you were one of the founders of Take Apart, is mm-hmm. that correct? So you didn't so much work with it as start it. Yes. Well, at the time, the, bil- the UK government, through Labour Initiative, had a building uh, Communities for the Future program. And the community of effort in Plymouth won that award. There were only two awards in the southwest. One was in Hartcliffe and Bristol, the other in effort. And in that space of time, 
The community of Efford was the fifth most deprived area of Plymouth. It had been limping along for quite a number of years. The council didn't see it as a priority. Uh, there was some low-level like gang violence between young people from different estates. You could go there to see cars being burnt out on Guy Fox night, and it needed some investment. So the local authority was awarded this money, and urbanist and architect Shilliman Smith were brought in to realize the master plan. At that point, Shilliman Smith said, I know what you need to do here. You need to bring artists in to have conversations with the local community, because when you work with artists, new conversations come to the table. People see things in different ways, and people are excited to have engagement. That's not the town hall style meeting. So through a partnership with Plymouth Art Centre in Plymouth, I was um, awarded a contract to do a series of pilot projects at that point, just to test out what the community thought around the master plan. And the community absolutely loved it, so much so that the Heart of Effort Community Partnership, which was the community organisation that was holding this master planning process with the local authority and the art centre, formed themselves into their own community interest company, and from there, Take Apart was born as a project in effort back in 2009. So that's kind of the origin story of Take Apart, if you will. And I didn't really know a lot about what I was doing, but I knew that the thing that I should do is ask people what they would like to have happen in their local area. And from those conversations, build program. I didn't know that it was socially engaged practice. At the time, I believe it was called art in the public realm. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember, the terminology changes all the time in, in regards to kind of community co-creation models. And I was, yeah, not really au fait with uh, arts commissioning, but had enough people. I surrounded myself with the people who had the skills that I didn't have so that I could learn from them to do the things that I wanted to do. So I guess inherently, Take Apart as an organization has always operated and co-created models of working from the top all the way through. So that's a little bit about how I got to Take Apart. That, that itself is very interesting because uh, normally or usually, not normally, usually, when I'm talking to people in your position, they have a, an arts background and they've moved into a community-based practice from an academic practice or uh, a more highfalutin practice. And you have a totally different path. You've arrived at this via archaeology. Is there, is there any overlap between your archaeological interests and your cultural work? I suppose like archaeology is a subsector of really of anthropology. It's a study of people. I've always been interested in people and interpersonal relationships. I thought archaeology was a really cool thing to study because it was like different and Indiana Jones and all of that stuff. I, I would love to say that my motivation was more sophisticated than that, Owen, but I don't really think it was, to be honest. But I have always been interested in what makes cultures, I suppose, what makes communities cohese, what makes people come together. And that's why I really like the work that I do, because you're always learning something or you're edging into one thematic or another. It's never the same at Take Apart. It's never the same when you're working with communities, because obviously interpersonal relationships alter and shift. And the frameworks and the policies and the funding and the structures around those people 
also shift all the time. So you have to be very fleet of foot, I think, in your thinking. So how many people are involved currently with Take Apart? Um, so we have a board of eight people. They're representative of the communities that we are serving, but also the uh, intersectionality of the communities that we're serving. So we have disability and queer activists. We have artists and academics, people running institutions. Uh, we have a trade unionist on our board, for example, as well. So that's our, our governance structure. Um, in terms of staffing, we have about four full-time members of staff or equivalent, but I've just appointed a joint CEO and executive director so that I can bring that kind of co-creative model right to the top of the organization and bring a little bit more um, of that kind of magic in, have a pal to do the work with. We have a core community at the moment, which is the east end of Plymouth. That area is dubbed the Forgotten Corner by the city. It's on the waterfront, but it's also surrounded by light industrial estate and by thoroughfares in and out of the city, hence the Forgotten Corner element. It's a refugee dispersal area for the city as well, so we're dealing with 10% of the population being from a non-UK background. It's haves and haves not in that community. There's social housing and there is gated communities there are businesses and then there are underused parks. There's not a lot of services in the area. That place in Plymouth is where we test our models of best practice, innovate, hopefully, <laughs> some new ways of working. And we're using that as a test bed so that we can share our models of best practice in more um, national and international frameworks. So we also have relationships with um, the local trust, which I don't know if your listeners know about them or not, but they're an endowment from central government to place £1 million across 150 communities that are higher on the socioeconomic deprivation register or the IMD um, so that they can spend that money on creating the communities that they would like to see. So we're helping them with creative commissioning work as they're approaching their spend out. We have partnerships as well with Engage and other national organizations, the Royal Academy of Dance. And we're hoping more and more increasingly to kind of share best practice in how to support grassroots communities, hoping that we're performing that best practice. So I don't know. <laughs> okay. So if I understand you correctly, then your model is that your primary engagement is with a particular part of Plymouth, but mm. that you use that engagement to to co-conduct experiments in cultural production, in cultural entrepreneurship or whatever. Mm -hmm. And those become tested as best practices. And then you go out and evangelize those across Britain and the world. Is that a fair summary of Yes, it is. Evangelize is an interesting word. But yes, I think it actually is. That is true. There is a take apart in the Republic of Ireland. And we're doing some work in the in, in India at the moment as well. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I haven't heard the word evangelize come back at me. Feels religious, feels heavy. It might be a good word. I have to sit with that a little bit. Think about it. Language is so important in this work, isn't it? 
It is. I, sorry, I was using the word evangelize in the sense that Apple used to use it 20 years ago when they had various people who were evangelists for the Macintosh operating system mm. and evangelists for HyperCard, which they had as programming for everybody. So I was using it in that sense of going out and explaining something to people that they didn't know they were interested in. Yes, maybe that's true. I suppose like overall what I'm interested in is kind of removing the um, the permissions of an institution. So the institution currently is the one that commissions art generally. And there's almost a three-way, uh, a pyramid, if you will, between the institution, the artist, and the community. I'm interested in infilling into communities directly the ability to commission the art that they want for themselves so they can make their own value judgments about what they want and don't want, and they can make the choices for what they do and don't want to see happening. I think that's probably where I'm at at the moment. Okay, can I come back at you at that one? Because that sounds very interesting. And I find it interesting in the sense that I'm not actually sure how it works. So if you ask the, if you get the community into a position where it is itself commissioning the art or the art processes, the cultural processes that it wants, the community want, how do they raise the funding for that? Other than by a process where an institution with funding hears their application. Well, yes, I mean, that's, that's true. They need the funding. So what I do when we or what we do at Take Apart when we go into communities is we form something called an arts action group. That's made out of it's an asset based community development approach. So we're looking at who is connected in the community. It could be the lollipop lady because she knows all the families that she meets every morning. It could be the person running the corner shop. It could be the head teacher at a school. It could be the local authority um, neighborhood warden. It could be the housing officer. And we bring those people together into a space and we um, asking them what their ambitions might be. Once we've done that and had some conversations, we might identify some like pilot projects or testing that we want to do. And so we will sit down with that community group and we will write a funding application with them. The funding applications we write tend to, at that stage, be quite like touch. So they might be National Lottery Community Fund, um, like Awards for All they used to be called, or a Small Heritage Grant, or, or so that the community can test you know, what works, what do, doesn't, how they make decisions together. And then we, through that process, will form a bit of a terms of reference for that community group, that arts action group, to have just conversations about how are they going to make the decisions? What are the thematics they want to touch on? How often do they meet? What do they mean by community? Is it a community of geography or identity or interest? How long would they like to do projects for? So, I think a lot of institutions will come in and say, we've got some money to commission some art with you. I would like to think that we're taking a few steps back from that and having a conversation about intent before we start to look at how the how of making commissions happen. So how long does the process that you've just described take, the process which gets you to the point where there is an art action group who are equipped to start attracting interest in this way? I would say probably two or three years. 
because you've got to test some things. You've got to go and see. You've got to have conversations as well about like how much things cost and how long they take. Have a conversation about what quality means. Um, we're at the moment setting up an arts action group with the Royal Academy of Dance because they've moved from Battersea to Wandsworth and they're deciding what it means to be a good neighbor as an institution that's arrived in that community. And I've been working with them now for a year and a half on the arts action group and we're halfway through that terms of reference process. So you have in Plymouth some examples, I presume, of arts action groups that have been going for a lot longer yes. than that. What kinds of things have they achieved or have done? Yes, yeah, so the arts action group for effort um, realised the master plan, and that was about bringing the buildings on the high street that were distanced from the pavement, closer to the pavement, about setting up social enterprises. So in effort, we set, we initiated three social enterprises in the area, one for young people in filmmaking, one around markets, and one around uh, environmental education through something called the Allotment Project. Some of it is about physical changes to the environment, but generally that's not really where people want to place their energy as much. And some of it is around educational attainment. So in effort, the uh, local school was in special measures for literacy and by 2014 became UK Literacy School of the Year because of their creative engagement and writing and filmmaking. That's our oldest and longstanding arts action group community in the East End, which has been running since 2018. We are commissioning environmental programming because the, um, Plymouth has the first ever marine park. And so we're working on ocean literacy and stewardship programs with that local community. Um, they've done things like planting themselves wildflower meadows. They've commissioned community planters. We have developed a training program for that local community. So every month there is a new session, which is not just about environmental sustainability, but it is mental health first aid training courses, for example, or how to set up your own CIC. We have done a lot of work around going and seeing um, arts projects and raising engagement around them. We have developed employability opportunities and connectivity in COVID through community publishing projects where we're training the local community to be journalists and they're writing newsletters that are giving information about where to get support or a great poem that they made or what they saw out of their window so that people in social isolation can connect and find out what the services are in the local area. So that's just a smattering of things. We've done lots of things. I don't want to give you a list, though. No, no, that's okay. Thank you very much. That's that's great. So uh, what's, what's, a take, what's Take Apart doing nationally? Tell me a bit more about that. I understand now what you're doing in, as your primary level work in Plymouth, but you were talking about taking this national. I know you've done various consultancies and mm -hmm. various different actions outside Plymouth, yes. which have led at least on several occasions to setting up other take-apart organisations. Mm -hmm. Yep. So we've set up, as I mentioned, there's a take-apart in the Republic of Ireland in Carlo that was set up in 2018 through Arts Council Ireland, which has been really good because their um, creative place programme that they launched in 2020 that was a test bed for that policy to be made. 
we've set up Bricks here in Bristol, which is um, an artist studio space and community space in an old box factory and council office. They have an arts action group that manages the decision making around who comes into the space and what the program is. We've supported in Cheltenham and Yeovil two arts action groups, one associated with the University of Gloucester and the other its own organization called Yeovil Art Space. And I'm interested just at this point in a little bit more about open sourcing our materials, our models, our practice. We can't hold on to communities of delivery in a deep-rooted way. That's not possible for Take Apart to do nationally. We'd have to have a million little Take Aparts everywhere. But what I'd like to do is try to be able to infill community groups or organizations with some of the tools or the knowledge or the starting points so that they can take themselves on their own co-commissioning journeys and call them whatever they want to call them and do them in whatever way they want to uh, do it but hopefully to act as like a critical friend and support and a champion for a social practice. Okay, that leads us neatly on to talking about your relationship with ICAF, Mm -hmm. because uh, that's where, as I said at the start of the interview, that's where we first met. And that was your first time in ICAF, but not your first time attempting to get to ICAF. Is that right? That's right, yeah. Um, I was really excited to go. It was... uh, We had just at that point kind of decided to take a part to try to get ourselves out there a little bit more, uh, out of Plymouth and have a look around at different things. But yeah, we had to cancel because ICAF got cancelled, sadly, and leave it to the pandemic. So I was thrilled this time around when I was able to attend. It was really exciting to go. I think it's really important to have things like ICAF because I think social practice needs feeding. Even if that is just meeting other people who are doing the work that you're doing, it's exciting to see all the permutations that can occur. I um, absolutely loved, you know, the Cabbage Field Opera was so beautiful. Um, I love that, yes. That was so good. And I just, I'm meeting people and having conversations. I met yourself, uh, for example, and lots of incredible people. And from that meeting, actually, I went to, and I'm not sure if you were in it or not, Owen, but I went to a session where we were talking about theatre of the oppressed in, in South Asian um, projects. So there was Mondulu in uh, theatre in Thailand. There was Dreambox, sorry, in Singapore, and a couple of other projects talking about social practice in spaces where democracies eroded, where there is no real funding, where healthcare or other forms of care are not as generous, maybe is not the right word, but not as present as they are in Western cultures. And I, I was really excited that social practice had like an urgency and a usefulness in it that was a bit more direct than the way that we tend to deliver social practice at Take Apart, which is this really asset-based, like, what do you want starting point? And that starting point, while it's generous and people come around the table, mightn't be the way to have conversations that brings you right to the forefront of maybe an issue or an underrepresented group of people or, or. So I really, that really piqued my interest. And following from that, then, I applied and got an Arts Council Developing Your Creative Practice, 
to do have some study circles in the global south against this framework that we have in the UK, which is more asset based. And I got an AHRC to also do that work. So really, ICAF has a lot to um, celebrate and how it's like shaping my, um, like reframing my practice to maybe, and my intent, and who knows if this will happen, is to try to bring some of those more urgent forms of practice back into the UK. I think that social practice, you know, it's not a touring art form. You know, it's not like a theater or a gallery where things move across the world and you see them experience and they move on. But there should be learnings that I can pick up, you know, some life hacks, if you will, or better ways of working that I could maybe take along a journey back and recenter social practice in the UK if we need to. I don't know if we need to. This is research. (laughs) But that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, that sounds sounds very, very interesting. And I think uh, that's uh, a very interesting thing to have had happen as a result of your participation at ICAF. And I think the people at ICAF will definitely be pleased to know that they're having that kind of effect on on participants' practice. Mm. I'll wrap up the conversation here, Kim, if I may. Yes. But I would also like to say that you've raised a lot of interesting subjects that I'd like to come back to you at some time about. I'd like to talk certainly about what you're doing or planning in India, and I'd like to talk about how what you're taking there effectively, what how you're moving your ideas of social practice to an Indian mm-hmm. context and what what results from that. So I think as you get further down that road, I'll be I'll be knocking on your door again and asking, can we talk about it? I would love to talk to you again in more detail, definitely. And I, I'm really excited about considering, yeah, what the, the cultural exchange is, really. Yeah, that sounds exactly the sort of thing that uh, I'm interested in. So we'll get back to that as soon as you feel you've got something you want to tell us. Great. Thanks so much, Owen, for the conversation. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye. Now that you've heard the podcast, you can go to the website to find out more details, including references and links. The website's at meow.net. That's M-I-A-A-W dot net. See you there.